Today on Spirit Inspire, we are inspired by the 4th of July holiday to discuss what is true Christian freedom, what does liberty really mean, and what are some of America's founding principles. Also, we'll get to see John wear a top hat. All this and more on Spirit Inspire, starting right now. Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit and Spire. And now, here is your host. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Spirit and Spire. I'm your host for today, Isaac Fox, joined as usual with my good friend and wonderful co-host, John Abe Soul, I think. <laughs> well, hello, sir. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very good. I How have to compliment you? you on the hat. The hat is fantastic. <laughs> I had to... I had to bust it out for today. <laughs> Absolutely. And this hat brings to mind the uh, reason why we're doing today's episode. Right. Today's date has inspired our topic for today. Um, for those who will be watching this episode, it'll be airing in a few weeks. So, you know, that's going to be on a different date. But the day... It's the same month. Same month. But the date of today, the date we're recording this episode, is Monday, July the 3rd. And that's significant because it precedes one of the most momentous occasions in the history of our country. And, of course, I'm talking about my birthday on July 5th. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't resist. <laughs> and uh, so I appreciate you wearing the top hat in honor you're, of that you're today. You're welcome. Yeah, Happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> it's, it's really cool because no matter where I've gone or where I've moved, the night before my birthday, everybody in my neighborhood and community, they celebrate, they shoot off fireworks. It's, it just That's makes me feel really special. It's a very special thing to be uh, alive, Isaac. It, it really is. Um, more seriously, though, today the third is my brother's actual birthday. So very happy birthday wow. to the magnificent Jonathan Fox. That's yeah. excellent. How um, many brothers and sisters do you have? I just have one full brother. One I have a half brother, brother and two half sisters who are okay, way, way older than me. That's okay. Um, um, so your brother then is two days apart from you. Yeah, four years older, but our birthdays are only two days and, apart. Yeah. So you're four years and two days apart. Right. My brother and I are two years and four days apart. Dude, that's creepy. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's like weird. Anyway, just yeah. random aside, <laughs> birthdays. So. And it's the big one this year. <laughs> 4 Whoa! Yeah. You're yeah. entering the promised land. I know. I feel like I need a uh, a midlife crisis. I'm gonna, like dye my hair red, buy a motorcycle, and just like walk out of my job, something like that. But you know? do you, do you have to have a a crisis at midlife, or can you just? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that what's the point of turning 40 without a good midlife crisis? That's true. That's yeah. true. So you sometimes maybe just manufacture one if there exactly. isn't one yeah. obvious. Because right? I don't feel like having a crisis, but I, I think like you're supposed to, right? So <laughs> anyway, true. all of that aside, we are actually talking about Independence Day. Happy July 4th of 4th. July, everyone. That's right. Happy birthday to our country. That's right. Um, 248. Wow, I, I hadn't actually uh, done the tally on that, so yeah, that's awesome. We're a couple awesome. years away from the big 250. Yeah, that is really cool, so, which brings us to the point of today's topic. Ever since the founding of our country, we have spoken a lot in our nation of freedom, of liberty, of, you know, all the, these really good, noble human ideals that we hold to very dearly, and I would say in modern in the modern world, perhaps particularly in the Western modern world, uh, liberty, independence, uh, freedom, kind of a personal autonomy are held in very high esteem. Um, but 
maybe there's a little bit of a question on how we understand those things. Yes. We, we talk a lot about how important personal freedoms are, freedom of choice. Um, but maybe there's a little question about what does that mean? And so we were thinking maybe for today's topic, we could really dive into the Christian understanding of what is true freedom, what is, what is true Christian freedom, uh, free will, authentic liberty really look like? Yeah. You know, when I uh, was growing up, I remember watching a kid a kid show, I think it was on PBS or something, called Liberty's Kids. Yes, and my kids love that. You, you they watch it. it all the time. And yeah. Walter Cronkite was the voice of... Um, George, or not George Washington, Ben, ben Franklin, ben Franklin, ben Franklin yeah. and like many different famous actors are actually portrayed in that with their voices. But uh, but as I watched it, I, I as I got older, I realized I learned more about the American Revolution from that cartoon than mm-hmm. I probably ever did in school, which is a tragedy if you yeah. really think about it that way. Um, but like you still think Abraham Lincoln was there for the revolution, so right? No, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> I'm done with you. But uh, Abe, you should have brought the white wig today. Abe Lincoln, though, referenced the revolution. True, you know, I mean, the very true. beginning of his most famous speech was what in reference to what yeah. happened four, four score, score and, and seven years yeah. ago. Yeah, so four score and twenty. Our four forefathers four brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived, conceived in liberty, liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. There it is. And now right. we're engaged in a great civil war, testing whether any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Mm. Yeah, it's a great line. It's a two-minute speech and one of the most famous of all time. But uh, it's those things that I remember growing up, you know, um, meeting Abe Lincoln's uh, in person, uh, actors, basically, right. when uh, I was in grade school and going to Civil War or uh, other reenactments. Sure. Right. Yeah. Things like that that really instilled within me a, a healthy attitude of patriotism, mm-hmm. but a patriotism that's not nationalism. Right. See, there's a difference, a difference between worshiping the government and thinking it's the most important thing, or even just the American facade, mm-hmm. right? Like the flag or the, the symbols that are meant to be symbolic of the sacrifice, the love, the commitment, uh, the true freedom that people are striving to live, right. and not the the propaganda that sure. we oftentimes face in governments trying to push agendas or uh, whatever it might be. So I look at freedom as, as an incredible gift, something that can't be manufactured, can't be controlled, can't be uh, forced. And it also isn't the same thing as just pure license. Exactly. There have to be limitations on freedom if it's authentic freedom. Otherwise, you're just enslaved in a different way. You might not have a dictator like King George III, but you have a dictator called your own behavior, your own desires, your own attitudes, right? And I think we, I think this is why we have to ask this question, because... If we're celebrating personal freedoms, which it's great to have freedom, right. right? to have freedom of will, for example, the ability to choose to not have a dictator controlling every aspect of your life. But if we're going to celebrate that, we immediately realize if we pursue that line of thinking, we're going to run up with some problems. For example, what happens when my free will encounters yours and one of us crosses the line in some way to where my personal choices disaffect you? Well, this is when we start creating laws. And yes. we say, okay, you get freedom of choice up to a certain point, right? but now we've got to curb it. It can't be complete license, as you were saying. 
And so this immediately makes us realize, all right, this is a little bit more of a complex question. We can't just say free choice and that's fantastic. Do we whatever. All get it. <laughs> right. So apparently we need to have a little bit more refined understanding. And one of the things that I was thinking about prior to the show is there's an argument. It's been around for a little while. Um, I, I think it's usually seen maybe on the part of agnostics or atheists mm -hmm. that is kind of used not against the idea of God, but maybe against uh, certain Christian doctrines. So this might come up in, in the course of a discussion of evil. And as Christians, we're going to start talking about free will to explain the existence of, of evil and bad things happening in our world. And then we're going to explain that free will is very important because this enables us to be, this is part of being made in the image of God. It enables us to choose to freely love God and, and so forth. But then this counter argument runs a little bit like this, and I'm given sort of a, a roughed out version. Sure. All right, Christian, what about heaven? Because you all say that in heaven, you won't be sinning. In fact, you say you can't sin. Right, so, so how do you have isn't that free a will? denial of your free will? Right. And if therefore you're forced to love God in heaven, what was the point of celebrating free will here on earth in order you could love God freely? It looks like you've got a contradiction going on here. Apparently. And I think if all the premises were sound, well, we would have a problem here. And that's kind of what drives me to say, apparently there's something more to freedom than just the freedom of choices. Right. So if we make, if we just make choices, then you could make all kinds of very unhealthy, uh, terrible choices that can Absolutely. actually cause major problems. And so freedom is the ability not just to make choices. Freedom is the ability to desire and choose the good. That's you've exactly gotten to the heart of the, the heart of what this is about. Right. Um, I think the, the key to this lies in considering the will. When we talk about free choice, we're talking about freedom of the will, right? Yes. So maybe we need to look first at, like, what is the will? You know, it's not just a choice-making instrument. And uh, my boy, St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, uh, oh know, yeah, bring him on. <laughs> he says that the will is a rational appetite. So we've got appetites, right? In, in, our, in our human natures, in, in our physical nature, appetites for food, for comfort, for pleasure, for all of these things. And they, they draw us towards the thing for which we have that appetite. But he, he says the will is a rational appetite, so it's related to our, our intellect, our knowledge of things. Well, if the will is an appetite, and this is interesting right off the bat, because we think of the will as our choice-making instrument, right? The thing that just helps us choose. Mm -hmm. But how does it do that? St. Thomas says it's an appetite, meaning it draws us towards something. And Thomas says that what it draws us towards is the good. Um, now, this is really interesting because Thomas would also go to the point of saying that it does so all the time. Um, we often choose things that are bad. We, we say certain people that they will to do something bad, or maybe we save a person they have a bad will. But what do we actually mean by that? Well, in the moment of making a bad choice, and, and I think we can think of this personally in our own lives, like when we've done something wrong or made a bad choice or committed a sin, even if we know it was wrong, somehow in that moment, we were still telling ourselves, we think this is going to make us happy right now. And so Thomas would say that we might be confused about what the true good is, but the will is always drawn towards good in some way. 
mm-hmm. and can't do otherwise. It can't knowingly choose evil. Right, right. It, well, Which is pretty interesting. It's it, like a magnet that draws us towards good. Yes, and it's not because we're forced, but it's because that's how we were made. We were made for goodness, for happiness. Right? You know, it's not like God uses us for his purposes, similar to a, another human being using another person, right. right? When we say God has used me for good, it means that God is ultimate goodness, you know, so even us saying that we were used by God isn't, the, it's not even the right kind of language. It's right. almost like what really happened is we freely chose to cooperate with God's providence, meaning his ability to provide for his creatures, for his creation, in such a way that brings us to full bloom. Right. right to where we actually become the greatest version of ourselves that we can possibly be, reaching our greatest capacity for happiness, for freedom, right. for love, right? Which is the whole point. And I swear we didn't rehearse this. I know. But you're like saying everything leads exactly into <laughs> Your where, next where point. I was going, <laughs> right? So, you know, if if God made us, if we come from him, if we have being at all and God is ultimate being, then there is something not forced upon us, but by virtue of our very nature that is drawn towards sort of craving more being, more happiness, more goodness, right? right? More life. And it's not like a robot in which you're programmed that way. It's part of your very essence, your very nature, that you are drawn instinctively towards what is good, what is what is uh, a life-giving, what will fulfill us. And so this is written way down deep in the nature of every one of us, in the very fiber of our being, that we instinctively want happiness, life, goodness. Uh, but even deeper level, we want more than we think we can get our hands on. We want it to the maximum. Yeah. We want this like infinity of it. And the problem happens because we're going to say as Christians, God didn't make anything bad. All right? I mean, look back at Genesis. Every single day that God creates something, he says, and he saw it was good. Right. The bad comes into play when we mistake one of these lesser goods, a finite limited good, for the ultimate goodness. And so this is is idolatry, right? Mm -hmm. We start giving our lives over to the pursuit of that lesser good. And what we're going to find out is that lesser good actually enslaves us, the opposite of freedom, because it, it... ends up constraining us, it limits our life so that we cannot then enter into that full, infinite life, happiness, goodness that we really want. And you use that beautiful expression of coming into full bloom. Uh, The word that was going through my mind has been flourishing. Mm. It's, It's a term I love. But this is the idea of true freedom is not just about the ability to make choices. That's like level one freedom, right? right? That's like low level freedom. It's important. But ultimately, true freedom is the freedom to flourish in accordance with the natures that we were given. And the things that will actually make us flourish and not uh, destroy us or pull us down or or distort our desires or our perception of reality, right? I mean, how many choices do people make that that actually cripple them or, or... 
make them less themselves than they were before, even if, sadly, they mis- and mistakenly believe that they are actually expressing freedom, living a better version of themselves based right. on initial euphoria of acceptance or affirmation that they receive from others based on simply cultural uh, uh, trajectories, right? right? And that's that's part of the biggest problem that we're facing, I'd say, today. And it's funny, to quote another president, Ronald Reagan from the 1980s, said something along the lines of, we are always just one generation from losing our freedoms. Right. And I wonder to myself what has happened in the last 50 or so years, in the last generation or two, that has gotten it to where it seems so many in our country uh, have forgotten or never even learned the history of this country, the right. principles of this country. Uh, I, my wife and I were actually in a bookstore today, and I saw a book titled The 1619 Project. And it just gave me chills, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm reading the cover, and it and it's literally talking about how the real narrative of American history is actually based in slavery when the, the cargo, the ship, brought slave African slaves uh, in 1619 mm-hmm. and it's always been a problem and it's like yes that is a true historical event these things but have it happened. doesn't mean that's the heart of what America is about right because the moment you try to make any government or culture or country or person uh, out to be based merely on the corruption or uh, mistakes or sins of mm-hmm. them, is the moment you have basically called them utterly depraved. Right. There is no hope. You've defined them based on their worst quality. We do this to people as well. Yes, we do. Joe, I was, I was thinking, um, Saint, so St. Saint Augustine um, distinguishes between two different kinds of freedom. And one in Latin he calls uh, liberum arbitrium, and it means the liberty to choose, to arbitrate. Yeah. And that's that low-level freedom we're talking about. You know, right, the ability to go between two choices. And you were talking about some of the problems that can happen um, when people are sort of just pursuing their choices. And I think that part of the reason is because we have worshipped, in a, in a sense, sort of idolized the word choice in there without understanding that choice is a step in a journey towards an end. We have the ability to choose in order for something else. Right. And so Augustine distinguishes between freedom from and freedom. Uh, freedom for. So freedom from is like freedom from constraint, freedom from the dictatorship, right? The ability to have free choice. And that's important. We, we, we need that as humans. Right. But that's only half the story. Freedom from is pointless without a freedom for. And so the question we need to answer is, what is our freedom designed for? And once we understand that, then we'll understand what the freedom of choice, that, that first level or lower level uh, freedom, how it should be used. But the moment we forget the, the final end and we start worshiping the means, things always get screwed up. Yes. Every single time. You know, it's funny in 
this country itself, there's something to that, where if you are focused only on freedom from something and you don't understand the freedom for, then you end up becoming lost. So you go to the American Revolution, 1776 to 1783. Mm -hmm. When that was taking place, they were trying to experience freedom from a dictator. Sure. But the reason they traveled to the New World even though they accepted the continental governance that they initially came through um, of Britain or France or whatever, Spain, um, things started to boil to a point where it just wasn't healthy anymore. They originally came because they wanted freedom for worship, freedom right. for uh, prosperity and flourishing and, and building a new life, right? right. Uh, but then they needed freedom from the dictators that were trying to keep them from those things, right? right. And then they found their way again when they found that independence there was this freedom for industrialization more inventions right mm -hmm. so many conveniences that have bubbled up from the, um, the american entrepreneurial spirit which is a beautiful thing right uh, and it, the idea of the american dream i always grew up feeling it was always that sense of building a life slowly intentionally uh, patiently uh, virtuously, consistently, so that one day you can look back on the legacy that right. you le have left behind for your children, and that that we are not taking the land from our uh, parents; we are borrowing it from our children. Yeah. And if we can have that mentality, it it it's a totally different paradigm of what freedom actually is. Yeah, and sometimes we think the American dream is like get rich quick for myself. Right. And, and that's I believe, not what it's really about. Man, you, and you said like what I was saying. We're reading was, each other's minds. Yeah, today. we are. Because my next mental point was the fact that we lost our way, not right at the Civil War, but I think we lost our way when people started thinking, oh, I can go out to California or Arizona and strike yeah. a rich. Right. The California gold rush of 1849, right. the things that start happening in Arizona and uh, Utah and, and look Nevada. at the lawlessness that happens then, right? So again, this is like it's yes. unrestricted freedom. Bingo. But the um, something that I kind of wanted to hone in on here for a moment, when we think about freedom for something, and then a moment ago you were talking about that full bloom, and I mentioned the word flourishing, is that each thing in the universe has a nature, yep. right? And so I would kind of want to put forward the argument that in part, our freedom is for the flourishing of our natures. And we can think of this by just imagining, imagining an example. Take a rock or you've got, got your cell phone over there. Mm -hmm. That cell phone cannot get up and walk around. Uh, that would be terrifying. Or that would be even <laughs> creepier than us reading each other's minds. Right. But are we concerned about that cell phone having a lack of freedom? No. It's not it's in a its thing. nature. It's an object, right? Right. Or a rock laying there. It's not in its nature to move around. So it's actually fulfilling its nature quite perfectly, just laying there doing what it does. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we don't look at a mountain and say, oh, poor, pitiful, imprisoned mountain. It's got to sit there for, you know, five million years. <laughs> right. We don't. It is it is being exactly what it's supposed to be. But then we look at an animal, we put it in a cage. Sometimes we feel this twinge of like, mm. oh, I feel like this thing's supposed to get out and move around. Right. And then, of course, we can magnify that greatly with the human condition. So I think what, what we're getting at here is... If we put the human in the cage, something feels wrong 
But it's not just because it's a lack of mobility. It's because apparently humans are meant for something more than that. So true flourishing is being what you were made for. Yes. Which means understanding not only God the maker, but also understanding the human nature as well. Like if we don't understand what we are, then we won't understand what we need to become. Yes. And so I, I would argue that true freedom is not just about making these individual choices between left and right, good and bad, do I want McDonald's or Burger King, that kind of thing. That's not what true freedom lies in, but true freedom lies in being given the opportunity to flourish, to become what we are made to be. And that's why the person in the prison... I think this example helps to explain, if we go all the way back to the beginning, that little argument that I put forward about, you know, don't you have freedom in heaven if you can't uh -huh, sin? Right. Imagine one of us or somebody being in prison, and let's say it's very unfair. We haven't actually done anything wrong, right? It's not deserved. Um, and it's kind of imagine like an old-fashioned prison, right, where you've got shackles and, and chains on and all that, right? Four little tiny walls, Oof. chains, you can't move, you can't make your own choices about to go out, when to eat, what to do, right? You're, you're completely imprisoned in that moment. And this is very clear that this is not human freedom, right? This We don't want this. We're not at all worried about the walls not having freedom. We're not at all worried about the chains not having freedom, even though they're in precisely the same state that we're in. All right, now imagine me in that state. And I'm like, I really want freedom. Cool. One of these days I get out. And I think freedom is just about freedom of choice. Mm. And I'm out there building a new life for myself, right? I, I get a job. I maybe go back to school. I'm looking at a career, get married, all of this. And I feel super free because I'm no longer in prison. I now have the freedom to do the things to become what I'm supposed to be. But imagine... If myself or somebody feels that freedom is only freedom of choice, they're like, you don't have true freedom because you can't choose to go back to prison. Wouldn't we find that absolutely stupid? Yes. Yeah. But yet how many people act like that in but other that's, ways? That's the same line of argument going back to this question about freedom in heaven. Mm -hmm. See, the, the what's wrong with that argument is the moment that we assume freedom is only about the ability to choose... Well, then the argument suddenly becomes a very powerful argument. Oh, I'm in heaven and you're telling me I don't have the ability to choose hell? Ooh, I must not have freedom. I must be a slave to heaven. Right, and it's like... But that's not actually what freedom is. Right, and that's not what heaven is either. <laughs> True freedom is that we stop being enslaved to all of those things that are keeping us from flourishing. Things like addictions, sin, exactly. ignorance, all of this. To where in heaven, the ability to not sin... It's true freedom. Right. Think of a man trapped in pornography or drug addiction or sure. alcohol, and he's finally found himself free from that, living a life of sobriety and inner healing and transformation and fidelity in all kinds of ways, right? And then he one day thinks to himself, wow, I'm not free to go back and live that life. I must not actually be happy. He yeah. would not do that, Nobody or would he could way. trick himself to yeah. fall back in that way, and that could be a trigger, sadly, of him based on the things that could happen. But that, but he knows deep down, and he always finds himself back out, even if he falls off the wagon, to recognize, oh, I, that 
once again, I fell to the counterfeit. Once again, I gave in to the attitude of imprisonment, of dictatorships. That's what addiction is. Addiction is like similar wording, similar root of dictator. You know, there's something to uh, our choices dictating our actions. Correct. Our desires are dictating our choices. And yeah. sadly... And that's not freedom. No, it's not freedom. That's having a tyrant in your life. Exactly. The more we choose something, generally speaking, the more we tend to desire it. We actually form our desires based on our choices, but eventually there's this turning point where our desires because of our choices, Mm -hmm. have become so strong that we no longer have the freedom to choose it or not. Right. We have to give in to maintain the status quo of our comfort level or or sensitivity level or whatever it is that we've needed. You know, a friend of mine in high school died of a drug overdose because he had gotten clean from heroin and he had a relapse and thought he could shoot up on the same amount and he died. And it was the most tragic thing to see his picture over his remains um, in his senior tuxedo, the same stuff that I had been wearing. And it was less than 10 years after we graduated. And so that, that is obviously not freedom. It's not freedom. Yeah. That's a tragedy. I think, I think you really hit on something too. Um, in, in the course of this, when you talk about addiction and how our desires begin to control our choices, um, this may be kind of personal for me right now, because part of my whole 40th birthday thing is I'm trying to quit smoking cigarettes. Yeah. So, Say a prayer for me, because this is not going to be easy. Uh, say more than one, in fact. Of course. But this this kind of helps us show the relationship between reason and the will, between freedom and slavery, because it is the definition of being human that we are rational animals. We not only have the, the physical, material nature, the animal nature, but we have the intellect, the rational soul, right? So that intellect... Um, learns and knows things. Not always perfectly. It takes time. It's got to be trained. It's got to be illuminated. Mm -hmm. Now, I may think, going back to this idea of will, I may think that I want to smoke a cigarette. I certainly have a desire to, but is that the same thing as truly wanting it? You see, I know a few things. I know it's bad for my health. Right. Oh, it's all... (laughs) I know this not only long-term, but also, even in the short-term, I know, okay, I used to sing... My voice isn't where it used to be anymore. Mm. Um, I used to like to be really active, and I had more endurance and stamina. Lung capacity is not there anymore. Um, I know I'm probably going to wake up in the morning with that cough and the this, the pain in the lungs. In fact, everything about it makes me miserable. So my intellect tells me, if I want to go have a cigarette, my intellect tells me this is not a good. And remember how the will is supposed to be focused in on the good. It's right. supposed to be drawn towards it. So I'm like, this is bad. There's nothing about this that's good, enjoyable, really anything. But my body, the part that gets addicted, it says I want it. So my will, illuminated by my reason, can say, bad choice, no. But if I just ignore my will, and I go ahead and light up that cigarette, because I've really got the craving right now, am I free? Not in the slightest. My intellect knew better. My will wanted to choose the good, the higher good of being healthy and free from this. But instead, 
I'm weak, I give in to the desire of the flesh in this because case. Because we have not opened up our bodies to that indwelling of the Spirit that would then manifest the behaviors of virtue and right. love. Right. right. And that's the hardest part. And so this, this to me is slavery. This is not freedom. You know, if somebody tells me that, you know, you have the choice to be a smoker, I'm going to say that's not freedom. That, that has felt like slavery to me for quite a few, quite a few years now. Right. I don't find that freeing at all to have the choice to do that. Mm. Um, and so I don't think we can think about the will without also thinking about the intellect. And, and what's, what's this whole Catholic theology about? Original sin that happened from that fall in the garden. It all goes back we to say that. We say that it the intellect is darkened and the will is weakened. Yes. We still have both, but they're not in the good quality state they were in back at the beginning. So our will is kind of weak. It's not as, as capable of, of controlling the desires of the flesh and saying, okay, I know you want that fifth cookie right now, but it's not good for you. Right? Mm-hmm. So the will's weaker. Mm-hmm. We're liable to actually have the fifth cookie. And then also our intellect is darkened to where we, even though our will is created to pursue the good, we often don't know what the good is. And right. so these are two of the, the kind of handicaps that we're, that we're born with. And the only way out of this, the only way for true freedom, if freedom is to be free from those addictions, free from those sins, to be able to pursue the good. And that's what Thomas and Augustine are both going to say real freedom is is the ability to pursue the good uninhibited, right? Right. The only way to get there is by the grace of Christ. This, this is the hardest part, too, because in our country, we have, over the past 250 years, developed a mentality of freedom being about rev- revolution, right? mm-hmm. revolting against some... Like a rebellious freedom. Yeah, it's Don't rebellious Don't you tell me freedom. what to do. Yeah, and that, and that never leads to happiness. And so it, it goes to this idea of, like you said, with the, the original sin, uh, people trying to make us believe that the, the whole purpose of America has been about slavery and how terrible it is. In fact, that book was even describing slavery as America's original sin. And mm-hmm. I just think to myself, or humanities, right? Right. Every person has, has given in to those types of terrible behaviors of using others, objectifying others, dehumanizing others. in our world right now. It happens in every every country country and every place in the world. In fact, there are more slaves today throughout the world than there were during the Civil War uh, in America or throughout the world combined. And And it's not just America. you can't take, you know, talking of the original sin of America, we can't take the original sin of our first parents and define them by it. Right. As terrible as it you, may you be. You can't. They're still human. They still have a different definition. Humans who did something terrible, right. yes, but it is not, therefore, the definition of being human. Yes. There's even traditional belief that Adam and Eve were eventually redeemed and yeah. that they could be considered saints, yeah. right? I mean, do you have a feast day for saints Adam and Eve? Probably no. not on the liturgical calendar. But I love that, that a stunning picture Um Christ King, descending to yeah, the realm the har- of the dead. The harrowing of hell. You introduced yes. me to it. I don't know the, the artist. Yes. It's um, a beautiful picture, the harrowing of hell, right. in which he he has descended, you know, at the time when he was in, in the tomb, or his body was in the tomb, mm-hmm. to to finally rescue Adam and Eve from their state. That's, oh, that's so compelling. It, it, it is compelling. It gives me chills thinking about it. Um, one last thought that sure. I had, in at least in this part of, of all of this, mm-hmm. is 
So I was listening to, I, I never know how to pronounce his last name correctly, Father Dominic either Leg or Lege. I don't know if it, he's a Dominican priest. He yeah. does like Aquinas 101 on YouTube. I think YouTube. I've seen him, yeah. Um, but in this context, he points out that freedom of choice and freedom of the will is not for us just about these immediate choices between choice A and choice B. And he, he says we often have much bigger long-term goals. And uh, he gives the example of somebody who goes to college. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to, this is their long-term goal, is to get their, their degree. And so on the road to that, that goal never wavers. That's the good that they are willing is to get their degree. Yes. On the road to that, there's going to be a million little choices that they're going to make, you know, uh, when to sign up for classes, what kind of schedule they want, what their housing is going to be like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. These are all these little choices that happen along the way towards that big goal. And this is what most of our life is. For the most part, we do have some kind of big goal or final end we're heading towards. And the the way that our free choice is supposed to work is on these details along the way. We don't start worshiping the choices right. as if they're the end. So we have this bigger picture. And um, ultimately, that can only be the final end of man, can only be God. Because God is infinite being, and we talked earlier about what is the nature of man as opposed to the nature of a rock, as opposed to the nature of, a, of an animal. Um, we are looking for this flourishing of our mm. natures. But what makes us distinct from the rock and the animal, uh, the rock doesn't want anything besides to lay there, doesn't even want. The animal may want to break out of the cage, but we are the only creatures that actually want something infinite. We have a hunger. We have an appetite that will accept nothing less, less than, than everything, eternity. right? And nothing less than everything. I know. And so it becomes clear then that every choice we make for any good, and remember, God made everything good. Mm-hmm. So we can't really choose a thing that is intrinsically completely evil, right? But we choose things thinking them to be good but they are not the final good, and they're leading us off the path. Yes, it, right, and it's not like anyone— And it anyone... only ends up us being miserable, because then we're not getting this infinite happiness we're looking for. We are getting stuck in this little box. Right. And that's that's prison. That's not freedom. Think of the movie as Shawshank Redemption. Oh, you yeah. Know? And, and you live your whole life— uh, First off, the man was accused of killing his wife. He did not do it. Um, circumstantial evidence put him in prison for a life sentence. And and he meets all these men who are on de- basically on death row or, or just life sentences. And it's just hopelessness. And he doesn't lose hope. And mm-hmm. it's a powerful story. I'm not going to spoil it. I recommend it. Um, of course, with the caveat, it's very intense, very violent, a lot of prison uh, violence, yeah. if you can imagine. But um, <clears throat> there's this one particular moment where a man is released on parole, even though he'd been there for 50 years. And mm-hmm. he just could not figure out how to live in normal society to the point where he tried to get himself back in prison. Right. They didn't care. and They didn't even arrest him. He was just an old man. They didn't think he could hurt anyone anymore. Right. And he lost all hope because he had made so many friends and he felt comfortable in prison right. that he kills himself. Yeah. And it's such a tragedy. It's a but really yet, powerful part of that movie. It's a very powerful part. And it's this moment of recognizing that when it seems like there is no hope in your pursuit 
of freedom, of love, of happiness, that especially when you're trying to overcome these vices, these addictions, whatever it may be, we cannot make the mistake of believing that our pursuit is in vain Mm -hmm. to the point where we try to go back to the prison. The the danger is falling in love with the prison. Prison of pornography is the harem. It's an addiction of illusion, right? Mm-hmm. The prison of drugs is euphoria, the feelings you get, right? The, the relaxation, the alcohol, it's this, the relief of stress, right? The lowering of inhibitions, whatever it might be. Right. This thing that makes us feel like we can finally just let go and rest and not really shoulder the responsibilities of a life fully lived, Right, a, a life filled with freedom and love, that you can have healthy moments of recreation mm-hmm. that relieve stress, that give you amazing experiences of euphoria, but not on such an intoxicating level. And they have to be ordered that desensitizes correctly. you, right? Yeah. That has to be ordered properly, so that we can stretch our hearts, or rather, allow God to stretch our hearts to their widest capacity in our aching, in our longing, in our awaiting the infinite fulfillment of those longings that only God can fill. Because the moment we say, no, I'm going to grasp, Mm -hmm. is the moment we just missed the mark. Mm -hmm. We didn't get what we were longing for when we went for it, right? Right. And that's, to me, the the difference between what I believe Thomas Jefferson meant in the Declaration of Independence and what many people assume these words to mean. He said, we were endowed by our creator Mm -hmm. with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's not the pursuit of pleasure for the sake of pleasure. That's not the pursuit of honor or wealth or power for the sake of themselves. And it's the pursuit of, not the guarantee of. Right. It's the pursuit of happiness because, again, that is part of human nature, so we should have that right to pursue that. But it is not saying the right to do whatever you want. Exactly. Right. It's right. And I think I kind of lost my train of thought a moment ago, but where I was trying to go with this is... I would also say that law and freedom are not, therefore, opposed to each other. No. So if I have this bigger picture, this final end towards which I'm, I'm going, and I get to make choices along the way, mm-hmm. well, it would obviously be a really bad choice for me to decide not to show up for my classes, right? <laughs> to, go, to go back to this analogy of, of, of trying to get a degree. It would be a bad choice to get like, you know, super drunk the night before I've got a big test to take and I, I, I got a hangover, right? All these things would be bad choices. And many, so, many college students fall into that. Yes, I absolutely. Many of them. Absolutely. And so this is, these are examples of choices we make that actually hurt the very thing we really want, the very thing towards which our will is oriented, yes. that, that big goal that we're driving at. And so um, it is not... Not only is it not opposed to freedom to put certain rules on myself to say, okay, go to bed at this hour, uh, do not engage in this kind of behavior, study hard. These may not be the most pleasant things always, right? right? They right. can be challenging. But athletes and academics do that all the time. Right. And athletes, such a great example, because, you know, I, I used to teach ballroom dance years ago, and it's a real struggle to learn. You know, the, the body has to be not only strengthened, but it also... 
you've got to start learning how to get the music from your head into your body. Mm-hmm. You've got to learn to not only be able to see and think the things in your mind, but to actually get your body to do what you think it ought to be doing, to look right, to move right. Right? There's a there's this big disconnect between you know, maybe the way we imagine great dancing to look in our heads and then what my clumsy body does. Yes. So it takes a lot of hard work to get there. But then when you're sailing around the dance floor, you feel so free. Mm. And mm. I, I did some injury to a knee a couple of years ago. Uh, it still isn't fully healed. And so there's a lot of more physically active things I just can't do right now. Right. So that feels like an inhibition, right? Because yeah. now my body's not working the way that, that I, I remember it used to be able to. Mm-hmm. So we would not consider this hard work of the athlete, the, the weightlifting, the stretching, the diet, or the, the hard work practicing of the, the dancer, the skier, or whatever. We would not consider that as opposed to freedom, but actually increases the freedom. Because, you know, John, I do not have the freedom to pop on some ice skates right now and do a double axle. Right. I never could because I never practiced it. <laughs> no, right? I couldn't either. I don't have that freedom. Right. But with really, really hard work, maybe I could have the freedom to then sort of get that feeling of flying. Right? Yeah. It's like when you're watching the NCAA championship, you're not watching the championship. You're actually watching hours and years yeah. of hard work you're just and watching practice. watching that one final moment, but it's everything goes It's a performance goes of yeah. perfection and yeah. incredible dedication to your craft, to your art. And only through that dedication can you find true freedom. Instead of banging on the piano keys thinking that you're making music mm-hmm. just because you want to be free and spontaneous, what if we learned to play beautiful music? Mm-hmm. You know, And you play beautiful music with your body and your behavior and mm-hmm. your choices, your habits, your thought, word, and action, your speech, everything that you do. And that to live a life of virtue instead of vice requires discipline and practice. And even if we stumble and sin and miss the mark, even if we've suffered and fallen into addictions that have enslaved us and kept us from the freedom and love that we long for, we can, through repeated efforts, find ourselves being trained and or rather retrained for a life of virtue of true flourishing and i think john this is going to lead us directly into kind of the next aspect this whole conversation of freedom yeah um but again the the point i think both of us are trying to drive home right now is those constraints that make us better are not really impositions on our freedom not at all. Okay. The, the, the drilling, the practice, the discipline, all of that. Now, we don't want to start worshiping discipline. And right, because I lives. met those people, and that can be oh, its yeah, own kind of slavery. slavery Body addiction. obsession, things like that. But the point is, I think that as a culture, we've kind of come to focus so much again on freedom as being choice that we wind up in the situation of don't tell me what to do. I want to live my own life. Thinking that that's happiness, thinking that's true human flourishing, thinking that is the point of why we're here. And what, where does that end up leading us then? It leads us to the example you just used of, I'm just going to bang on the piano and I'm going to call that art and you're not allowed to tell me otherwise. Do not tell me to practice my scales. How dare you impose certain <laughs> rules on me, right? But the reality is the, the, the concert pianist who's out there Fingers doing things I can't even dream of. His hands are free. What they can do is incredible. Yeah. But that only came to those hours of discipline, of saying no to many other things. Right. And so if we have this very sort of small, very, very uh, 
sort of myopic viewpoint of freedom as just the immediate ability to choose right now. And we don't realize that there is a final end towards which we are we are moving, and that makes sense of the choices we make, then we'll start worshiping the immediate choices. But if we can see the final end, the the good life, the, the whatever this is, then it's suddenly very okay to have numerous constraints put on certain of those choices. Like in our country, the freedoms for which we fought, mm-hmm. the, the freedoms for which our constitution was established, to kind of bring this back home to July the 4th, right? I might get really, really annoyed uh, by speed limits and stop signs and these other rules. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Right. That's an imposition on my freedom. Well, guess what? The moment that we get rid of all those laws and all those rules and somebody goes through a stop sign and, you know, sends me to the hospital, I don't feel so free anymore, do I? Mm -hmm. So again, it's not about those immediate little freedoms and choices. It's about this bigger picture of having a free, happy society, right? There's some sort of good society that we're aiming for here in our country, at least we were at the founding. And so we realized in order to obtain that goal, we're going to have to put certain restrictions on certain forms of behavior. That is not an inhibition of freedom. That is a guiding us towards true freedom. Yes. And and you had said earlier a couple times of finding out who we really are to get at the core of how to live a life of freedom and love, to, to even understand what it means to be an American right? Or to be a human being, Mm -hmm. to be a Catholic, Mm -hmm. right? In a way that actually transcends all of those things. And I I think of the introduction, uh, funnily enough, I'm bringing Theology of the Body in, to the Theology of the Body audiences that Mikhail Waldstein, the man who translated JP2's works. Are you like into Theology of the Body or something? A little bit, a little bit. Oh, okay. I I never Um, knew that. Right. His introduction. Just like you never know I'm into Thomas Aquinas. Right, right, right. We always do this to each other. It's good stuff, though. Oh, because JP2 was a Thomist, right? He had all of that infused into what he wrote. Um, But he also studied the philosophy of people like Max Scheller and uh, John Locke and some of even some of the ones who actually influenced Je- uh, Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. who wrote the Declaration mm-hmm. of Independence, right? And I remember uh, in Mikhail Waldstein's introduction, he was speaking of the difference between patriotism uh, and paternalism. And that paternalism was seen by this particular philosopher. I think it was one of the philosophers who influenced Jefferson. Um, that he spoke of paternalism as one of the greatest kinds of evils that one could ever conceive when it comes to trying to create, make that a form of government. And paternalism is essentially that father-son relationship, right? But what this man was seeing it as and describing it as was a master-slave relationship, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a master-slave paradigm, so that the slave is owned by the master. He's never better than the master. He's always controlled by the master. And the only way for the slave to truly be happy and free is if he overtakes the master and flees the master, whatever it might be, right? But that's not true paternalism. Now, can we say that this would work if the president was actually our father, benevolent? But no, it wouldn't work in that 
political structure because we live in a fallen world of human beings sure. who are subject to concupiscence, right? Yeah. And it's a different situation when you're in heaven because you have God, the heavenly father, Jesus Christ, who became human in every way but sin, Mother Mary, who opened herself up so much so that she becomes an example to all of us of what true freedom and true uh, human flourishing looks like, right? St. Joseph, who was caught up in that mystery himself, right? So all of that being said, the difference between paternalism and patriotism, to me, uh, spoke of the difference between what accepting a loving father and looking at a society based solely on independence and a way that kind of rejected a healthy interdependence. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, and, and in fact, I, I, could even find it in reference uh, because it wasn't just in Theology of the Body. It's been in other texts I've seen as well, this interesting uh, phenomenon of what that concept is all about. I, I just, I think that the, the root words, paternal, patriotism, there's a connection here. It is, but, pater, fatherland. Right, but do you see the difference between yeah. one that is solely based on I'm going to basically reject my father because he did me wrong and mm -hmm. I don't want to give that to my kids and I'm going to have this independence that is kind of isolating and autonomous, right, yeah. instead of in a healthy way based on relationship and trust, which is a very different thing. Yeah, and aut autonomy, uh, once again, you're reading my mind, aut aut autonomy was a word that I was thinking of in this context that we have, again, in the modern West, this perhaps overemphasis on autonomy, right? It's part of our idea of free choice. Yeah. Um, and that is not, that, that, that can be a bit dangerous in society. When we go too far with that, we have to remember that we are interdependent. As mm -hmm. you said, we are part of a society. Um, and, and the independence, the freedoms that we fought for um, in the Revolutionary War were for a country, not for just the individuals. Right. And so that is going to entail that there is a certain level of personal autonomy that's just not going to be okay. And I think that maybe... We've taken that language of liberty and freedom and independence, which really meant independence and liberty and freedom for a certain society that was separating itself from a perceived dictator. Right. Uh, we've sort of taken that and co-opted that language to mean my independence, my liberty, my freedom. And that starts making one a bad citizen. Yeah. All it does is lead people to live in... A collective isolation from one another. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't even know or trust our neighbors anymore. Well, we don't even right, know and trust many neighbor, of our family members anymore. Right. Because will our neighbor in their own, you know, personal autonomy and freedom respect my rights? We don't know that. Right. right. And so then then you, you get to mistrust and all of this leads to a decay of society. Um, Man. So I think that one of the... One of the things we've really seen here, oh, and real quickly, I did want to jump back to patriotism because the, almost at the beginning of today's episode, you mentioned the difference between patriotism and nationalism. And mm -hmm. you also just said um, the importance of uh, knowing what you're supposed to be. So if we know, maybe not only what we're supposed to be as humans, but if we know what we're supposed to be as a country, like what is America really about? Like 
maybe let's think of the Constitution or, or the ideals or, or whatever that might be. Again, if we have that goal, that final end in mind, then that shapes the way we think about our country right now. So authentic patriotism would be to say, we're pursuing that goal. Yes. And if that means at this particular moment, I've got to say, whoa, I've got to issue some really sharp criticisms about where we are right now. That's not being unpatriotic. Just like, you know, think of fraternal correction. John, if you come to me out of good Christian love and charity and say, you know, Isaac, you're behaving in a certain way that is not conducive to your flourishing and your final end, I need to bring this to your attention. Well, I mean, I would I would hope God would give me the grace to say thank you. Probably <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't, but, you know. <laughs> Depends on the situation. But again, right. that does not indicate a lack of love for me and your part. If anything, it shows a greater love that you're willing to do that. Even so, patriotism says, I think that there is an ideal for which my country is striving that is unique, that is awesome, that is a good. Mm -hmm. And I want to pursue it. I want to help my country pursue it. And along the way, that might mean doing different things, and it might mean criticisms or praise. But I love my country. I love this ideal. And so I'm going to, you know, that maybe show respect to the flag. That might be, you know, whatever. Uh, nationalism is saying, I'm better, my country is better than you. Right. Or we run into fascism. Nobody else is allowed in our country. We start, you know, getting into xenophobia. We start running into all of these other things. That is not what patriotism is. That is this extreme nationalism. And then on the flip side of, of nationalism, we have this issue, which I think is happening a lot in our country, where we see problems, legitimate problems in our country, but maybe we've forgotten real patriotism. And so and simply instead of issuing criticisms and saying, let's work together to fix this, we get a lot of sort of, well, just down with the whole project. Yeah. Screw the whole thing. Yeah. You know, uh, don't respect the flag or, or whatever. Um, that's not patriotism either. So this, this sort of extreme anti-American sentiment and an extreme nationalism, neither one of those are true patriotism. Both have lost, lost sight of what is America, just like we can lose sight of what is being human. Yes. All of that has led to it. It just has bred uh, or it could breed one day anarchy, total mm -hmm. chaos in a way that what emerges from that wouldn't be more freedom. <laughs> it would only be less freedom, more splintering. Yeah. Our states would no longer be one whole country. We would literally have multiple countries, probably more than two mm -hmm. at the end of something like that. If we were to have the kind of split that happened during the Civil War, I think, sadly, it's not so much over slavery. Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot to do with the sin of abortion. You know, being something that has split. I saw several political... other issues as well, but I think and that's several other right. Yeah. But you you look at how the laws are structured and mm -hmm. what people are prioritizing or seeking based on certain understandings of freedom and and expressions of and lifestyles of pre supposed freedom, right? right? And where that often leads is the neglect of orphans and widows, right? And that's we just did an episode on this when we were talking about abortion on right. the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, and this is another great example of something that has been couched in terms of freedom, freedom of choice, right? Right. That is really a complete misunderstanding of that concept. So that that's a, a, a great analogy. Yeah. You know, John, I, w I was thinking um, you have several times used the word virtue and the word vice. 
And a moment ago, we were talking about examples of things that seem to inhibit our immediate freedoms, like discipline and rules that are actually designed for greater freedom. And it seems to me that that ties perfectly into the idea of virtue and vice. So how about we take a short break here and refill our water? I like that. And then now that we've kind Let's of discussed, it. you know, what is real authentic freedom, maybe uh, when we come back, we can talk about what gets us there and what doesn't, vir namely virtue and vice virtue in a Christian vice. perspective. So, all right, we're going to take a very short break and we'll be back in just a moment with more discussions of Independence Day, freedom, virtue, vice, and of course, my very important birthday on Spirit Inspired. <laughs> Hey everyone, this week's episode is sponsored by Family Renewal Project. FRP is a local theology of the body apostolate in service to the Archdiocese of Louisville. They're dedicated to renewing the culture through the renewal of the family. They have so many amazing things going on, so check them out at FamilyRenewalProject.com. All right, welcome back to Spirit Inspire. So we've been talking about fourth of july independence and that has led us to discuss independence freedom and liberty and uh john if i can kind of sum up maybe what we've talked about sure. it, it seems to me that we've been trying to move beyond this very sort of baseline level of understanding freedom as just the ability to make choices and i think throughout the course of the first well, almost hour conversation what we've kind of seen is that in the christian understanding True freedom of will would run as follows. The will, based on the way we're made, is ordered to desire the good. Yep. Okay? And ultimately, for humans, that good can be nothing less than a relationship with the infinite God and his unending life and, and happiness. And so we need to have that at the forefront and then realize that our ability to make choices can help us on that path but maybe we would also say that if we start focusing in only on the choices, we're focusing in on the means instead of the end, and we start worshiping choice, mm. and that tends to run us very, very badly off the path. Mm -hmm. um, so we have this idea then of a final end or a goal, but then there's this question of how do we get there? And in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about discipline, um, rules, law, all of that, and how that's not necessarily opposed to true freedom, but instead things that can help us get to true freedom. And that leads us straight into the Christian idea of virtue and vice. So John just kind of wanted to ask you uh, this question. I mean, talk to us about virtue and vice. How would you describe these? What are virtues? We don't, we don't use these terms much anymore. It used to be a real compliment to say that somebody was virtuous. Virtuous. And now that's got kind of that... Um, Similar to the word chastity. People don't know. Yeah, it, it's got kind of a, a negative connotation, but also one that's sort of like uh, prudish, Pollyanna, naive, something, right. right? Even though it should be a really robust and beautiful term. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk to us about virtue I, for a little bit. I think uh, it's a connection between the word innocence and experience, right? So... Virtue is not just good habits. Virtue is rather that habitual disposition toward living well, living Dude, a good life. Like, you just sounded like St. Thomas. Habitual disposition. Wow. I mean, this is like... That's exactly yeah. it, though, right? That's I mean, it, yeah. virtue is not just getting into good habits. Virtue is consistently desiring to 
be in good habits and good behavior and good choices, meaning it's less about ethic and gets into the ethos, right? Mm -hmm. So the ethic is the law, the rule, what should we do or not do? The ethos is has to do with the inner dispositions of the human heart, what attracts us and what repulses us. Right. And so Christ came to transform the human heart. He came to transform our ethos. The reason we hate the speed limit is because we desire to break the speed limit, right. the stop signs, whatever it is. And we have to learn how to conform our desire according to God's design so that we can one day reach our destiny. That comes from Christopher West, right? Uh, he calls it the 3D approach, desire, design, destiny. And when we live with that in intent, suddenly our life becomes three-dimensional, technicolor, vibrant, actually real, and not this facade of manufactured, controlled uh, attempts at grasping onto what you think is your happiness, your good, uh, what love is, when it actually is the exact opposite. Right? So many people fall to pornography or uh dysphoria of any kind because they perceive it to be the love, the affirmation, the attention, the approval mm -hmm. that they didn't get growing up or didn't get from whatever relationship they that went bad or their own attitudes toward themselves. And which ultimately, again, only leads, God can satisfy. And that leads to the opposite of virtue, which is vice. Right. Vice being the things that grip us, that control us, that dictate our behaviors so it's the opposite disposition so instead of having a habitual disposition toward the good you have a habitual disposition toward the bad right the unhealthy the uh the things that take away your freedom and happiness but they don't look like that on the onset, I mean, have you ever done something that you thought you wanted in the moment, but it did not result how you expected, okay? Right. I mean, right. think of the big tub of ice cream when we were a kid, okay? It looks good, tastes good going down, but you didn't know you were lactose intolerant, so have fun being on the toilet for a week, you right. know? <laughs> um, and it's that not to and put we, that image in your mind. We, you know? <laughs> we only make those kind of mistakes in our kids, right? Right. Yeah. Sure. 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 Uh, so, so that to me is the difference between the two in a in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, but I think, sadly, like you said, the word virtue is has become more and more sadly in people's minds antiquated. When in truth, it's not. The concept of living a good life and looking for happiness is universal and timeless. Yeah. It can't become antiquated just because words have been not used properly or misused and uh, redefined or twisted based on agendas or neglect doesn't mean the meaning or essence of what those words mean yeah. have become antiquated or unused. It just well, people you, forgot. You think about it, you go all the way back to the, the Greek philosophers. They might have talked about a lot of different stuff, but a, a fundamental commonality between guys like Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle is they were all attempting to understand the good life and a good life usually in society. And so ethics uh, were a huge foundational part of, of their works and virtue. They understood the idea of virtue even within a pagan milieu. They understood the natural virtues very, very well. Mm -hmm. Now, as Catholics, we understand that we have the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. Those can only be instilled in us supernaturally by God's divine life, his free gift. 
Um, but the natural virtues, things like temperance, justice, and so forth, the ancient Greek philosophers would agree with with what we say in the Catholic Church for the most part about those, right? And so they they understood the the key importance to living a virtuous lifestyle. But this relates to our earlier conversation because the reason behind it was to lead to the good life, to lead to happiness. So again, there was no disconnect. There was no perceived contradiction between certain discipline and true freedom and happiness. Mm -hmm. right? So, and I, I love the way you're explaining virtue and vice there. So maybe we could then ask the question of how does virtue lead us to freedom and how does vice not? And I mean, I guess we've kind of already been discussing that because vice is that that addiction, that imprisonment. Yeah, I'd say it's it's very uh, similar to what we've been discussing throughout today's theme. You know, American independence has always been about seeking the good life. Unfortunately, what has been defined as the good life has become consistently uh, ill-defined mm -hmm. or redefined. Right. And that, I think, has caused the heartache and pain that people are experiencing. Like, one revolution wasn't enough. We had to do all these others. And sadly, the revolutions that started this whole thing preceded even the American Revolution, right? right? You have the scientific revolution, you have the first and second industrial revolutions, you have the sexual revolution, you have the technological revolution, and now we're having the gender and transgender, transhuman uh, revolution of right. sorts. And you can get, you can revolt to the point of annihilation right. and total uh, emptiness, nothingness. You enter an abyss where there's no one there left for you. All right, you don't have any yeah. dictators. You're alone forever. And that's the ultimate. <laughs> but that's the ultimate dictatorship. Yes, it's the dictatorship, dictatorship of yourself. Of yourself. And what did we say at the beginning? It's not just freedom from; it's freedom for. Exactly. And so, if you're in this state of perpetual revolt, it's always freedom from, freedom from, freedom from. But if you have not determined an authentic for what that freedom exists, then you wind up in this perpetual posture of revolt that is very deeply unsatisfying. Yes. In the end, well, yes. you know that's called. What's what is that, that called? Vincent? It's hell. It's called hell. Yeah. Right? yeah perpetual no, revolt. Thanks again. Annihilation. For yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I should mention we how... have got behind the scenes Vince Rickett was Vince Ricketts. Here he with is. Us. I don't know if he can be seen on the cameras or not. No, I can't. I can't. I'm not... off to. Maybe one day. The top but he hat is side. Miked, he is mic'd up though, and always the top good. hat side. Everyone. That's right. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I love um, using, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, assonance, I think, is the word I'm looking for when introducing people. And so it seems appropriate to think of the virtuous Vince Ricketts. Virtuous yeah. Vince. Oh, that's a, At least that's not a bit the, of a stretch, but I appreciate it. Well, no. I could go with the vicious uh, Vince Ricketts. Vicious? So, well, no, it's better know. than vice-ridden. That's what vicious is. Oh, yeah. never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But no, you're right. You're absolutely right, Vince, about that idea of hell. Um, you know, I think of uh, the French philosopher uh, Sartre, I believe it was, who said that hell is other people. And oh, that's uh, so sad. That is, it's terribly sad. Oh. Because I think that's getting it completely backwards. It is. Because then you, you wind up in that dictatorship of yourself, yes. right? I mean, could you imagine? I, I saw years ago the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith. And it was basically this. I'm sure they've done different versions of this movie, different titles, different plot. But it's a 
a guy finds himself as the only living human being on planet Earth. Yeah. And there's that, a lot a, of those movies, horrific actually. devastation, and he's just alone. But he was also a scientist trying to find the cure for the monsters that the human beings had become. They were then eating you at night. It was just kind of a kind of a horror movie. But funnily enough, they showed it at one of our courses at the Theology of the Body Institute. That was kind of fun. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, lots of symbolism in that, that movie. But the movie... Uh, gets this moment right and it's so profound he's in a an old clothing store and there's a mannequin and he goes in and it seems like this is his routine where he stands at a thing looking at magazines and he's pretending like he's in a normal life Mm -hmm. and he looks at the mannequin and talks to her like she's a real person so I guess his way of trying not to go crazy. But there's this moment where he's gone through some really painful stuff. I think his dog got sick or died. I can't remember. But he uh, is looking at this mannequin, and he's just begging her to speak. He says, please say something. And he's getting teary-eyed. It's like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. But yet this is what it would be like to spend your whole life thinking hell is other people. Mm -hmm. And then when God finally gives you what you want because of the habits and lifestyle and paradigm you've set up for yourself to make you incapable of witnessing or recognizing true love when he stares you in the face, when he finally gives you what you want, which is self-worship for all eternity, you end up realizing that that is the worst kind of hell. That you could ever imagine. It is hell. It's it's the exact opposite of what Sartre said. It's not that hell is the other. It's that re- hell is the ultimate rejection of the other. The yes. permanent and complete rejection of the other. Yes. Um, My gosh. Yeah. So I, just thinking a little bit of virtue here before we probably <sighs> you know start approaching a wrap up. Sure. Um, it's not something we talk about a lot, and unfortunately, it's not just in society, but. I feel like I don't hear a lot of it in the church anymore, even though it's something for centuries was talked about a great deal by theologians and priests well, and teachers. Well, it's time to reclaim right? it. I agree. It seems that we we don't talk a lot about growing in virtue. And it is that is so critical. It is such an important aspect of our faith. And I think it's something that maybe each one of us individually needs to think about and really take to heart. Well, this is the only way we find freedom. Yeah. And I think it's something the church as a whole, I'd love to see more people kind of reclaiming that, you know, more, maybe more priests preaching about growth and virtue, because again, this is not a negative. It is the only way we attain true freedom. And we've already said that true freedom is to be, truly be what we were made to be. Mm. And that means that I was made to be whatever, we can insert various words here, right? But good, for example, I was not made to be bad. I was made to not have addictions. I wasn't made to have addictions. I was made to be and give and receive love, not hatred, bitterness, anger, and so forth. So when we begin to have a clearer idea of what we were actually made to be and how awesome that is, then we begin to understand that growth and virtue is not, and this goes back to your point, just the adopting of external habits, and it's not to make us holier than thou, nor is it some kind of prudish, naive, Pollyanna right, sort of thing. It's not going through the motions, right? What actually growth in virtue is, is beginning to become real, beginning to become 
alive. Growth and virtue is beginning to become what we were made to be, i.e. in the image of God. And I had, I think it's, I think it's one of the saddest things. You talked about reverting, wanting to revert to a prison earlier, mm-hmm. and that how that's one of the most dangerous things. I think that not understanding who we are is very dangerous as well. Because we might actually think that we deserve whatever prison we put ourselves in. We can get so low in our addictions, in our sins, and so forth, that we begin to think that we begin to identify as that. We begin to think that that is really just who we are, end of story. So why should we seek to escape? We don't deserve any better, right? And I, uh, I had an amazing moment recently in going to confession. And when we go to confession is never, as far as I know, a time when we feel really great about ourselves. You know, if we did, no. we probably wouldn't be going to confession. <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, I, this is probably a fairly universal experience among all of us guys. And confession here. will inspire virtue, if anything does. <laughs> and I remember once going to confession, and I was feeling really down, right? Just a failure, complete and total failure. And to the point that I didn't really even want to have the conversation with the priest. I yeah. know it's anonymous, but I just didn't want to open up and say, you know, I'm this big of a failure. Well, especially because when you're in those moments, you fail. You feel the failure in such a way that makes you feel like it's inevitable that you're just going to fail again. So why should I even go? And that can certainly be part of it. And again, I think this is part of the many ways in which the devil tries to keep us from confession. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, a, a priest friend of mine who told me, has told me on a number of occasions the devil is not really interested so much in getting you to the sin. He's interested in the despair that follows it. Yes. The sense of I might as well give up because I screwed up again. Right. That is far more of interest in the devil than just the fact that he influenced you to do it again, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself in this place of I know I need to go. I just don't want to. And uh, well, that's not very virtuous, Isaac. Well, right. But thanks be to God, I right. did drag myself into the confessional when it came to be my my time. And I actually told the priest, um, who is a priest. I'm as as far as I'm going to go with this, but I think he has a very real gift of being a confessor. Mm-hmm. The few times that I have ever wound up in his confessional, every one of them has been like transforming. There's something very special there. And I kind of indicated to him right off the bat, like this is difficult for me and I don't really want to talk and you know, all this. And he said, first of all, he said, well, then you're in the right place. And then he proceeded to point out to me how, however bad I might feel, the fact that I had even come in was a grace of God. And that that was evidence of how much God loved me. Okay. That was really interesting to me that, that like, I mean, floored me. That brought tears to my eyes because here I am feeling, you know, really way down here, right? That is absolutely worthless, which in turn translates into fear and that sort of psychological assumption that therefore God hates me, right? And sort of, you start building up this negative impression of God. Well, as he pointed out to me, you couldn't have come in here 
had it not been an act of grace. And that act of grace proves that God loves you like crazy. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're in here dreading saying what you're going to say is actually proof of God's love for you. Mm. So I broke down at that point, Mm. started crying. And as we go, go through the confession, the thing he said that stood out to me so much was, God made you good. And this is at a moment where I absolutely don't feel good. Right. But it was precisely the truth I needed to hear because I had become so wrapped up in my own, my sins, my faults, my failings, my darkness, my confusion, that I was beginning to self-identify as being those things. Yes. And what he brought home so clearly to me is that is not what you are at all. God made you good. In fact, God can't make anything but what is good. God is goodness. God is perfect being. He can only make what is good. And so I share that story, uh, which was very, a very powerful moment. But to tie this back in here with this concept of virtue, that the growth of virtue, again, is not a mere acquisition or just an external habit or a sense of, you know, holy. You don't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and live a good life. You don't just live a life of virtue because you work hard and you're determined. That's a good beginning maybe, and that's some raw material God can use, but ultimately it's grace and mercy and unconditional love that God the Father shows his children, his sons and daughters. And when we recognize that love, when we embrace that love at the foot of the cross in the confessional, especially Mm -hmm. when we hear the words of mercy and absolution, like just poured thick over our hurting wounded selves that feel so jaded, cynical, and hopeless. That's what fills us to a capacity and inspires us, gives us the energy and motivation to believe that virtue is possible, Mm. that you want to live a life of virtue. I think that the very at mercy is what actually gives us the capacity to develop that inner disposition toward the good. Mercy is transformative. It's another word that I think we have greatly cheapened. We view mercy, and I think we often ask God for his mercy from this kind of perspective of, um, I want to get out of jail free card, right? I got right. off the hook. It's not that. Whereas the reality is the mercy of God, and it's it's very much like, you know, the woman in the gospel who breaks the alabaster cruise of ointment on Jesus' feet. Mm. And Jesus tells the story, or not the story, but he, he makes the statement of whom much is forgiven much is required and he says that she is forgiven much because she loved much or i forget exactly how that says she loves much because because she's forgiven much right i got it backwards and that is where true mercy is transformative because it is the kind of mercy that is so overwhelming it should actually change our hearts it's not just saying i'm not going to punish you you get off scot-free no it actually makes us then want to say i want to give you everything um, but my my point is that I think mm. that virtue is not some addition to who we are. It is the fact that we live in a fallen state. We have all kinds of defects and problems and flaws. Virtue is actually becoming the good thing God made us to be. Imagine the athlete again, to go back to an earlier uh, 
you know, part of our conversation, think of like a Greek statue, right? Because, you know, they have this idea of sort of like the ultimate body type, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the some Olympic athlete. So, okay, let's take that. Let's say that's our model of the ultimate, you know, athletic body type. And then I go look at myself in the mirror and I say, wow, nothing like that at all. I got my bad <laughs> knee. Apparently, I got an extra 20 pounds yeah, on me right yeah. now. I learned that recently. I, I, I got to lose the weight. You know, so I see all of these things. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Those things are deflect, defects and flaws, right? Call those vices. Mm-hmm. So when I start working out and exercising and developing those muscles, that is virtue, maybe, right? These habits. But that's actually what I'm supposed to be. That's like the ideal type I was given for my frame. It's me starting to grow into becoming that that ideal figure right, it's that first that moment there. where you start to see a six-pack developing mm-hmm. just like the guys from p90x always promised i remember that when i was in college and i actually tried p90x and i got about 50 60 days in yeah. and i started to see physical changes now i ain't gonna claim any six-pack nowadays right that's all gone away i got like a on, two liter that's about it yeah. <laughs> two liter right but uh but it's possible to get that back but yeah. it requires the discipline and and returning to the art the craft of whatever the, uh, it is the that's... the word that's been rattling around in my head and listening to you guys talk has been um journey yeah or mm. journeying um i suppose it's particularly relevant for the our world youth day trip coming up here. oh yeah but Vincent um, is going with us oh yeah. that's awesome yes yeah uh but and and maybe to tie this back into a previous part of the conversation about the man who gets out of prison and uh you know if, if mm. he's really um what would it be if he's really grown in virtue if, if he's really become free he won't want to return um you know put that in the context of pilgrimage like you go you you are transformed it's a journey it's a process it's hard it's not fun most of the time um and then when you, I guess, get to a certain point or uh, somewhere along that development, you, you, what you look back at the way you used to be living when mm-hmm. you weren't free, when oh, you were gosh. enslaved to your <laughs> vices, and you're like, it's yeah, it's it doesn't like, compare. I mean, that life right. pales in comparison to what right. life you've found yourself living. I think that sometimes too, because yeah. you know, in in my life, I have certain challenges. Um, you know, life is busy, sometimes hard work, difficulties, you know, got a business, got eight kids, all of this and that tired most of the time. And sometimes I will get in a very grumpy mindset about things, you know, and then I look back on the supposed freedoms of the time before that, when I was, you know, and I think I've shared this here before, for example, I had a, um, a gambling addiction. You know, and yeah, sure, I could do whatever I wanted with my life. I could go out and party. I could hang out with my friends. I didn't have to work as many hours. I could sleep in. And you know what? I was so miserable. Yeah. I'm so much happier than now. And so sometimes on that journey, like you're saying, Vince, we might hit these these difficult, uh, rough patches in the road. And we're tempted to think they're really difficult. And it can be healthy sometimes to look back and remember that sort of valley of despair place that we came from 
and say, whoa, 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 this is nothing compared to that. This is totally worth moving on because you can see the difference. Um, yeah, oh so gosh. maybe we can maybe we can think of virtue in a more in, in this effort to reclaim virtue, maybe we can think of virtue in a more positive light. That virtue is simply becoming that good mm. and beautiful thing that God designed us to be from the beginning, that we have, <clears throat> you know, sprained our ankles, let muscles atrophy, gotten some scars, whatever along the way. Get up and move and, on. And virtue yeah. is not just to inflict some kind of pain on those spots. Virtue is actually to rebuild us into being that that true image of God we were meant to be. Yes. I think uh, it's about rebuilding the muscle memory that we lost, that we had in maybe centuries ago in the church as tradition of how we were taught or catechized or formed. Um, and of course, the church develops in different ways. Like there's the ups and downs, the mountains and valleys, because the church is on a journey through time, right? In fact, it's the only institution in the world that is on the fullness of what a journey could be considered to be, right? Uh, because it has an actual destination. Yeah. The world of finance and career, the destination is just to make more and more money. But mm -hmm. what's that for, right? right? Or politicians to get more and more power. But what is that power for? Or pornography or prostitution or sex trafficking to get more and more pleasure. But what is that pleasure for? They're completely <clears throat> missing the point. And we've lost that. And so in the same vein of rebuilding a life of virtue, um, you have to do so obviously with mercy and love, um, but also adequate formation, reclaiming the language, bringing back the muscle memory of these types of conversations that have been maybe lost in the church for several decades, but with the power of this technology, we can reclaim and enter back into the public square with courage and confidence and strength and fortitude, but also seeing this as a great opportunity to address what went wrong um, and to recognize some of the, the pitfalls that occurred along the way so that we can do our best to pass on a legacy to our children and grandchildren, the next generation, so that they don't repeat those same mistakes. So for instance, I look back on my own life, you know, my life of before my conversion and awareness, not conversion to Catholicism, but conversion to what Catholicism actually was. I grew up as a cradle Catholic. I always went to mm -hmm. church. I never stopped going to church. Goody two-shoes John ain't so virtuous when I looked at my actual sins, my broken relationships, my feelings of shame, inadequacy, self-hatred, lack of confidence, all the things that made me make poor decisions or communicate very badly to people, to cross boundaries with people in ways that left very deep scars and and relationships that I, I can't really talk to some people in my life mm -hmm. now. And I, I pray for them. I have no control over that. Yeah. It's just what happened in my life to get me to where I am today. And I thank God that he rescued me from the pit of my self-stupidity, self-absorption. Uh, it really was just the double-sided corn of, of self, uh, self, um, it's self reliance and self-condemnation, which is all just self-absorption. But really, when I entered seminary, so in 2012, 2013, as I was discerning seminary and entering seminary, I learned 
a very different combination, self-knowledge, self-acceptance, and self-gift. And we have to let the twin towers of self-reliance and self-condemnation fall so that the true freedom tower can be mm-hmm. built. Just like 9-11, we lost something. You know, something was pierced in our in America's heart. The foundation of our understanding of freedom was ripped asunder because people no longer felt free or safe. Mm-hmm. We had to fight for our freedom all of a sudden for the first time since the Vietnam War and the World War II. And people even now have not really gotten over the jadedness, the pain of that mm-hmm. kind of suffering. And by 2011, 12, when I was really processing what I experienced as a kid with 9-11 and how impactful that was, as well as my own family stuff, I went to a little magical place with my aunt and uncle and my brother called Disney World, funnily enough. And we went to the Epcot Center, and they have all the different nations and cultures throughout the world, and the place where America uh, was highlighted was where they had all the American Revolution, you know, drummers and uh, patriotic music blaring in that section of Epcot, uh, as well as a bookstore and with different paraphernalia you could buy. And I bought a little book called The American Patriots Handbook. And it was a uh, a masterpiece of just all the writings of all the founding fathers, founding documents, constitution. You can find the stuff at Books a Million today and, and Barnes and Noble, but I found it there. And in the introduction, it said this little handbook, the American Patriots Handbook, was given to every American student in the country from about the year 1850 till about 1950. And it was given in a way where we are actually systematically teaching our children the foundational principles that have made this country what it was, to right. what, what real freedom is, what the principles of authentic uh, liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness actually means. And so, you know, the the speech of Patrick Henry, you know, give me liberty or give me death, right? The Gettysburg Address is in there, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, uh, George Washington's Farewell Address, all of these incredibly inspiring documents. And I thought to myself, well, they gave this book to every student from 1850 to 1950. What happened after 1950? And I realized the rebellion the sexual revolution, the civil rights movement, all the intense rioting and violence and and revolting against the establishment. Sadly, I feel like many people threw the baby out with the bathwater, even though I don't fully understand that analogy completely. But, (laughs) you know, analogies tend to lose their meaning after several centuries. Well, you didn't have tubs in those days. Your your tubs were were circular metal things. You actually had to go and dump out back. Right, 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 right. You generally get it. But just don't throw away the foundational principles just because there was abuse. Don't reject your parents just because they made mistakes. Learn to forgive. Learn to love. And if we can find that kind of uh, renewal, I believe that is the path by which we can inspire people to live a life of virtue so that they can find true freedom and true love. So I think the four words that lead you to love himself, eternal life, Jesus Christ, is you start with the mercy that you don't deserve— you moved of uh, you're inspired then to begin trying to live a life of virtue 
And through that life of virtue, you find authentic freedom, real freedom. And it is through that lifestyle of freedom that you then gain the capacity to love. It is mercy, virtue, freedom, love. Can it go in different orders? I guess. But in a spiritual sense, it feels very much that there's something inspired about that journey that we're all on. It is truly a journey. So, Vincent, I thank you for saying that. Journey is definitely a word that that I think can help people. It's not just a band. Right, it's not just a band, right? And you got us. You can't stop believing in that, right? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> I couldn't resist it. <laughs> but I believe the word journey will help us rehabilitate the meaning of the word virtue. Yeah. And we're made for that journey. And I would say too, as we as we wrap up here, I would encourage in this in this need to reclaim the notion of virtue and its importance. Um, I would encourage this, especially for parents, um, to return to the idea of encouraging and explaining to your children the importance of virtue in a very positive way, but instilling in them the fact that virtue is a is is one of the most important things you need to be working on in their life. It's not just get good grades and schoolwork, right? But uh, show forgiveness to your brother and sister, right? Learn to. Uh, and make those little sacrifices to help out. You know, try to really instill in your children this this understanding of virtue and the fact that growth in virtue is not a constraint. It is not just a bunch of hard work. That it is actually what leads you to true freedom and true flourishing. Um, since we've been chatting with with Vince, I've I've heard congratulations. You you and your wife are expecting your first child so yes is that Praise to be public if we can edit that out i don't know it is now it's it fine <laughs> we can edit that out no, so it's good vince is not expecting a child his wife is praise the lord um, praise the lord that's right but yeah so you know there's a great opportunity for this next generation get the, you know instill them in this idea that virtue is a good and positive thing um so I guess my kind of final thought, did you have any final thoughts, John? Uh, one thought, and it's based on what you just said, and it's that ability to inspire virtue in your children. Yesterday, my wife and I were helping my mom and dad prepare for our big 4th of July celebration yeah. tomorrow. Um, mom and dad always do a big 4th of July thing. You mean my pre-birthday on the party? Fourth, yeah, your pre-birthday party. So this is for Isaac. Um, though he had to leave early from his own party last year. No, is that a um, kid who was I know, I know he did. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but uh, mom and dad always do a big fireworks show with my uncle and, and aunt doing music. It's a lot of fun. Um and uh, I'm sure a lot of people do these types of things. In fact, I think it was John Adams who said when they were signing the Declaration of Independence that one day, you know, there will be not bombs bursting in the air, but uh, fireworks of celebration for this historic moment in the history of this country. And uh, it is so true that that is happening to this day. So yesterday, after we were helping uh, around the house, we took a break and we started watching some family videos. And you never really do this very often, you know, uh, birthday parties or holidays. And so to take time with my parents and, and watch my childhood self and my brother and my sister and just, we were kids playing around in the early 1990s and 
and seeing my grandparents and great-grandparents and people have passed on since then and, and what my mom and dad's house used to look like and what I grew up with knowing. I mean, th- this was like getting a little glimpse of Eden, right? Mm-hmm. A little glimpse of my origins, the innocence of childhood, but yet the experience that God has given me today. And I, I said this earlier, but the, the connection between innocence and experience is what helps us live a life of virtue. It is a, a way of retrieving the innocence of your childhood through the lens of experience, the, the 2020 vision that you have from all the stuff you've been through. And it's the always the mercy of God that propels you forward through that. But, but watching that yesterday was an unexpected pure gift Mm, and that's awesome i got very teary-eyed and i think of you know one day i'll have children of my own with my wife and god willing and we would have that same experience of taking every picture and video and and there was so much footage that was unnecessary and of course, and boring and it's like embarrassing. Like, why is this even here? How does this still exist? It wouldn't be a good family video without some <laughs> right, embarrassing right. and boring bits. Right. I'm just happy my dad saved all the VHS tapes and dubbed them to DVDs so they yeah. don't completely get destroyed. But but it was a, a pure gift and uh, gave me a deep appreciation for the freedoms that we have in this country and how many people in this world don't have anything like that at all. And I think sometimes we need to look back in order to recapture that understanding, um, to remember from whence we came, um, to remember why we're doing all of this, sometimes it is good to look back and, and be aware of that. So I would say, you know, kind of in closing, since we began this entire conversation on true freedom and, and Christian notions of freedom and liberty today, that as we are preparing to celebrate the Independence Day holiday tomorrow, I know this video will come out in a couple of weeks, but I think it's an ideal that we can take with us throughout the year. Yes. Is to do a couple of things. One is to thank God for those gifts of freedom and liberty that we do enjoy. Secondly, to remember that there has to be an end for them. They are for something. And even as we're just relating this to our country alone, uh, to remember to use those gifts that we have personally for the good of those around us, not to adopt the attitude of uh, my life, my choices, you know, I get to do whatever I want at anybody else's expense, but to remember um, to use those wisely and well, to build up those around us, um, to build up our society, to improve our culture, to remember what the ideals are for which we are striving in this country, to not lose sight of that end, um, to not worship just personal autonomy or freedom of choice, but to to see what is the good, what is the goal, what is the final end, and to uh, be able to take those gifts of freedom that we've been given and use them for the good of others. We can reclaim it. And that being said, Um, I would like to say to all of you, God bless America and God bless each one of you. 
Um, oh, yes. Can I have that? Please? Oh, of course. Yes. You got it for the start. <laughs> I got to do the top hat. Absolutely. I'm going to be doing the Gettysburg Address tomorrow during how's the party. It, how's it look? So it's going to be fun. Uh, looks outstanding. Eventually, I want to get all these guys to do yeah. a top hat episode with We're me. We're not sure but... why. Can we have canes and do a little dance <laughs> we, we routine We don't know as what well? the topic will be or if we'll have a guest, but yeah. it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you all for watching. And as usual, don't forget to like to subscribe, and to share. Uh, God bless you all. We'll see you here next week for another episode of Spirit and Spire.